A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. Come down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? Oh, I approach today's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with the utmost trepidation. If you listen to our first show today, you'll have heard a deeply unsettling segment with Ken Erdy from Marseille. I, I can't even bring myself to explain him, or if you tell him what went on there. He talked to oh. us while wearing nothing but his underpants. Nothing nothing uh, between us but a thin stretch of <laughs> polyester cotton mix. You know, I've done little since that last podcast, but think about that scene. It's implanted in my head. Am I the only one who figures that he was actually softening the blow for us a little bit? That, that potentially, when he said all he's wearing mm. are his pants, he might not have been even wearing the pants. Mm. I mean, if you're stripping down, you're stripping down, really, aren't you? Yeah. Why would you well, stop it? Well, if you're Ken Early, you know, you like, you, he likes his freedom when he's sort of out in the field like he that. He eschews underwear at the best of times. <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. Will Ken have clothes on during the pod? We'll find out very shortly. We'll find out, le- oh, sorry, we'll actually find that out after I let you know about a very special show which is ready and waiting. Won't you bring back all those colours to my dreams? Don't give a damn about the money, being shot, take the title, take it all, and go to jail tomorrow. This chump has got everybody scared. Scared of what? You told him I don't have nothing but a prayer. Well, Chump, all I need is a prayer, because if that prayer reached the right man, not only will George Fulman fall, the mountains will fall. Oh, my God, he's won the title back at 32. This brash young boxer is something to see, and the heavyweight championship is his destiny. You saw him on television, there was no one more beautiful. You saw him walking down the street, he was a beautiful thing to see. He moved around the ring, he had style and class, he was tall and good looking. Everything you'd want from a boxer, wrestler, football player. And to be honest with you, he belonged to the arts because he had poem, poetry, he had it all. Specimen, fighting machine. 
You know, he was handsome, he was articulate, he was funny, charismatic, and was whooping ass too. Yeah, it's a snippet from our celebration of the life of Muhammad Ali. We had Jerry Eisenberg in person from Las Vegas, an interview I conducted when Jerry was good enough to let me into his home a while back. That was last year. Uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson was on the program trying to place Ali's impact on America, particularly in the 1960s, into a sort of social and cultural context. Andy Lee was in studio. Andy met Muhammad Ali at one point a few years ago and loads more besides, loads of great audio in there. Thanks very much for all the kind words so far from those of you who have had a chance to listen. That's ready and waiting for you. As I mentioned, we will have daily shows, daily football podcasts throughout the Euros with Ken in France. He's arrived there today. But the big question, Ken, what you wearing? Still the same, Owen. Oh, for God's sake. Are you actually wearing pants, though, even even pants? Uh, of course I am. I'm sitting on a couch. Come on. <laughs> Seriously, like. Well, I thought maybe, you know, you might have a towel. You know, maybe you're just wearing a towel <laughs> around your waist. Loosely around the waist. Yeah. No, no. I mean, it's it's just. Uh, Is it a leather reality. couch? I mean, if you don't want to, you don't want to be sitting there naked on a leather couch. That will. The reality you. is, it's 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 thirty degrees and uh, there's no air conditioning here. And ah, oh, come on, the air conditioning people are on strike. Is everybody on on striking? Is that, is that the sense? Actually, my first delay, my first uh, strike related delay happened before I even you know, took off from Dublin. Um, uh, apparently there was some fuel strike at the airports in France, so the plane um, had to stop and kind of take on more fuel, so it had enough fuel to fly back as well, because it wasn't going to get refueled over here. So uh, so that was, that pushed things back about, uh, about half an hour, uh, before I even arrived in this uh, beautiful country. Yeah, beautiful city of Marseille. Well, I don't know how beautiful beautiful it is. I've heard mixed reports about Marseille over the years, Ken. But all I know from conversations with you is how glorious it was during your time as a professional footballer with that great team there. Have you met up with any of the old guard yet? Basil Bowley, uh, Papin, Chrissy Waddle over there? JPP. No, just filling my lungs on with the, uh, the smell of fish. Is it fresh? Is it cooking? Is it just gently rotting in the sunshine? Mm-hmm. Uh, it can sometimes be so difficult to tell. Uh, but it hangs all over the old heart of this town, on uh, from the view pour, uh, emanating, radiating outwards, uh, even onto the uh, hills uh, where the velodrome is stuck. Uh, hills, to be honest, not really hills, just southern area of the city. Uh, lovely town, oh, glorious in the sunshine. Wish you were here. Have they have they made a city of your old town, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a fair it's a fair old slip from the airport, all right. But um, no, it's it's great. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit tired. On I'm not gonna lie. I uh, I was up at um, quarter past four this morning, uh, having gone to bed at twenty past three. So uh, I haven't really. I'm not. I'm it's not, not really in sleep as such. That's okay. You sound like you've enough energy to carry you through, Ken. Uh, let's get into your report on sport. It's actually your fault, Owen. It's all your fault. Um, You're listening to uh, you talking to Jerry Eisenberg uh, was what there was, a uh, kept me up. there was a WhatsApp message uh, last night that I presumed was from this morning as you went to the airport. Well, you're actually telling me you went to sleep after that for whatever it was, 20 minutes before going to the airport. Is that what you're telling us? Oh, no, that was that was this morning going to the airport. Yeah, okay. that was this morning. I didn't want to send one just in the middle of the night, but when I was going to the airport, I felt as though everybody should be up by then. <laughs> um, Thanks, Ken. You, you enjoyed the enjoy the Ali podcast? 
yeah, it was, it was very good. Um, it's good to hear Jerry Eisenberg's and Jesse Jackson's uh, views and things. Also, you know, the other people who were there, Andy Lee, uh, Mark Horgan. Was there anyone else? Uh, no, that was that was a that was pretty. No, much that it. was it, Ken. A couple of um, not- notable omissions. No, no Murph, no Ken. And yet, no distinguishable uh, <laughs> dip in quality. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people have have already pointed that out to me. So um, I don't know though. Would we remember Ali differently if if um, every word out of his mouth had been parsed for offensiveness? Uh, back in the day, the man said a lot of offensive things. <laughs> he, cer- he certainly did in the, uh, particularly in the early days of the sixties, um, well, right and through in, the 60s. and indeed in the, the sort of early to mid seventies when he was kind of quite, uh, he was he was quite passionate about the sort of nation of Islam. And he was you know a big advocate. Well, that's what I was getting uh, at. Yeah, I mean, he joined the, uh, He announced that he, he joined the Nation of Islam the day after the Sunni Liston fight. So was that nineteen sixty three? But yeah, no, that that was obviously you know, that was something that he clung to for a number of years. Yeah, people had a tendency to go. Oh, you know, people's views, I suppose, in general, were a bit more extreme. Um, Martin O'Neill has had a couple of issues uh, over the last little week, uh, last week or so. We'll be talking to Miguel Delaney about this, I suppose, in a little bit more detail. But I'm sure people will have seen the story by now. Just revolving around something that he said in the uh, Today FM event last week in Cork, um, which he's now had to apologise for. Essentially, Martin O'Neill uh, was asked about himself and Roy Keane's trip to the Super Bowl, and he uh, he pointed out that, in fact, a couple of other lads, Steve Walford, Steve Guppy, have been along with him as well. He wouldn't want people to think himself and Roy Keane were queers. So uh, O'Neill has now apologised for this quite thoroughly. He says, "I was asked to do something." It was inappropriate, that comment, which I definitely apologize for, a genuine apology if it has upset people. Almost the minute I'd said it, I realized I should not have said that. Absolutely, I should not have said it. Um, so, yeah, he. I mean, he he, uh, he talked a lot about how, how sorry he was. I can kind of... I can kind of see where he's coming from. I mean, it is, it's a little bit like the previous thing with the with the wags, I think. You know, one of those kind of gags that Martin O'Neill comes out with. They just don't... You know, everyone is kind of like... It's, it's, it's like, you know, when you're... Um, you're sort of uh, aged and makes inappropriate remarks at the dinner table, you know. <laughs> Everyone's sort of staring down at their food, really. But do you say anything or do you make excuses based on sort of age and not really knowing any better? Well, what I liked about his apology was that he was asked, as you say, it seemed genuine and certainly it was quite thorough. He talked to journalists. It wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to put out a statement now about this. Uh, albeit it's probably something that could have been addressed earlier than it was. But anyway, he when he did apologise, he was asked about the call by the Gay and Lesbian Equality Network that he should publicly endorse greater involvement in sport of the LGBT community. And he says, I have no problem saying that. Absolutely not. Not at all. I will do. First of all, if it helps the apology. And secondly, if it's taken in the right spirit, I will definitely do it. So the, the apology, uh, apology certainly seemed to be bang on. But at the same time, I'm... I'm I'm kind of maybe I was just wrapped up a lot with the Ali stuff because we we're recording that over the weekend, but I didn't sense there being as much of a deal made of this as there would have been in quite a lot of other countries had their national team manager made the same joke. Which other countries? Well, I'm thinking of England, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're always comparing ourselves <laughs> to England, yeah. but that's that. In, in, we can't in, even do outrage in, in football terms. Well, I don't know maybe England. Wales for for argument's sake, if. 
uh, you know if Chris Coleman had said something similar? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the Welsh soccer media well enough, so I'll steer clear away. I'll go back to my original example of England again. England is what I'm I think about. England. I think in England, it definitely would have been a huge like it would have gone nuclear. Um, would that have been a good thing? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, sometimes you have to. You have to. You know. It's a difficult. It's a difficult one. I mean, I. I just don't think it's necessarily a good idea. When somebody does something stupid, which they don't apologize for, to really burn them over it, you know what I mean? It's it's, it's a case of, you know, I think Martin O'Neill did actually. I think he did genuinely regret it. He knew he probably knew that he hadn't said it. Which of us hasn't done something like that? Oh, yeah, at some he, point? yeah, he knew. He said that at the, he knew straight away that it was. He said. A problem he said that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he. I'm sure he even heard the crowd. I mean, I I wonder what the laugh was like from the crowd. Probably a little. You know, it was a bit more of an intake of breath than a laugh, I guess. Although I don't know. People don't often, know laugh, yeah, like people often laugh nervously at, at, at issues. Yeah, today FM so took it out of the broadcast. Put out the audio, so we don't know how, how people reacted. Maybe they maybe it brought the house down. Um, you know, it still wouldn't have meant it was the, is the right thing to say. I mean, people do say stupid things sometimes. You know, stuff comes out of their mouths that shouldn't. I mean, I mean, <laughs> excuse me, Martin O'Neill is a sixty-four-year-old guy who you know who's lived in football his whole life and. Uh, I suppose when he comes out with something like that, it's it 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 tells you that that's really been the way football has been for most of the time that that Martin O'Neill's been there, and been, you know probably still is. That's not obviously not a good thing, but it's not as though Martin O'Neill is necessarily the um, the instigator or the arch apostle of homophobia in football. Um, when he says something like that, I think it's more of a it's it's kind of a more symptomatic thing. But yeah, I mean, I, people make mistakes. I mean, I think I, I used the word retard on the radio once, which was uh, which was again one of those things. I thought I can't believe that word just came out of my mouth. Um, but in the, I mean, I don't know when that was, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Nobody sort of said anything. I'm sure there were people, you know, sitting around the country listening to that who thought, oh right, that's you know, that's not very nice. But it wasn't as though really at that stage you would get this kind of chain reaction of, uh, you know, of people saying, oh, my God, did you hear that? Oh, my God, that's, you know, it's appalling. You know what I mean? These, yeah. these kind of things, these things happen. Um, I'm not saying that the, that it's good, but maybe it's sometimes important to keep a uh, mistake in perspective, especially when the person has apologised. We'll talk to uh, Miguel, as you mentioned, about that in a little while. What's Jamie Vardy up to this weather? Jamie Vardy, Owen, is... Uh, deliberating whether to join Arsenal Football Club. Um, now, I don't know what you think of this. I find it a very interesting move uh, from Arsenal, and I assume Arsene Wenger, because he is the, you know, he's the man who's behind uh, everything that Arsenal does at this level. You know, he's getting the uh, he's getting the final say on that. And it does seem as though, on the one hand, Vardy's quite unsuitable for the way Arsenal play, and on the other hand, that he might be exactly the kind of player that Arsenal need, um, which is to say, a nasty player, um, a nasty, an uncompromisingly nasty footballer who will do what it takes. Uh, I mean, Jamie Vardy has had an, an amazing season. If you look back at the goals that Vardy scored over the season, you will actually be amazed at the quality of goals it's you know it's not just the case of it's not just all the one type of goal i mean there's a lot of you know balls through from drink water and Vardy's in a bit of space and he, he does damage in that kind of space but there's a lot of different types of goals um 
the thing that he's like a missile onto the ball. You know, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter where, you know, it's first time finishes, uh, running onto three balls. Um, the defenders just can't really keep up with him. The other thing that you'll notice is the frequency with which he taunts opponents. <laughs> when he's, uh, you know, goalkeepers that he's just scored a penalty against. Okay. Olivier Giroud in one memorable instance when he scored the penalty away to Arsenal. I think Giroud had said something to him just before he took the penalty and Vardy was, was straight back Olivier Giroud. Maybe this is the kind of, this is not really the kind of attitude that Arsenal have been looking to bring into the club in huge quantities, I have to say. Um, the English players Arsene Wenger has signed have been distinguished on by their kind of poshness. I remember seeing uh, Callum Chambers and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Well, you know, the clubs are always churning out these sort of... Uh, uh, Get you know, to know the players' vi- videos. Exactly, yeah. All this, all this sort of video content. Like, there's just there's more of it than you can watch. But there's actually there's tons of this stuff out there, and and somehow I ended up watching one of these things with, with Chamberlain and um, Oxford Chamberlain and Chambers. I'm just kind of going, I can't believe how posh these two guys are. <laughs> this is this is amazing, you know. Uh, they they were just. I mean, they they seem like lovely guys, but like. Uh, you know, Arsene Wenger is always talking about Europe not producing strikers anymore. Um, he says that Europe, uh, because the players all learn in academies, it's also structured. They never have to deal with anything unexpected. They never really have to kind of think outside the box. And, the, you know, to use the <laughs> cliche, which is exactly the opposite of what I'm describing. Uh, they don't have to think inside the box is... Really well, saying. indeed, oh, that would have been a better way to that would have been a better way of putting it. They just don't have to think about anything that doesn't usually happen. Um, unlike the uh, sort of South American strikers, Wenger says they all all the best strikers come from South America, who grow up free range uh, in, a, in a sort of free range environment on the Potrero, where sure you might end up with a syringe, you know, sticking through your uh, your boot, which is unlikely to happen on the lush. Uh, pitches of uh, you know English academies, but on the other hand, things happen out there which you're just going to have to deal with, and if you get used to doing that, then it turns out that you're kind of more able to handle situations as they come up, um, and you can see this kind of uh, this creativity uh, and also this kind of aggression, this competitive aggression in certain South American strikers. Alexis Sanchez will be one example. Luis Suarez, Carlos Tevez. Um, Neymar and Lionel Messi. Uh, and you don't really tend to see them so much. Um, you don't really tend to see them so much. But maybe Vardy is the uh, English equivalent of one of those. Actually, England in general seems to have seems to be decent at producing strikers at the moment. I mean, Harry Kane is excellent. Uh, I don't know if you, can, if you can say because the country has got two good strikers that they're good at producing strikers. But compared to, I suppose, a lot of the other uh, countries around Europe, uh, they don't seem to be doing too bad. Yeah, well, it's certainly uh, what, you, what you can definitely say is that they've got these two really top strikers to bring into the Euros. Now, I didn't know it didn't work for them in their last friendly necessarily, but you'd have to think that they've they're going to make some sort of an impact. But with regards to Vardy in the move in the short, whatever about whether it's the right decision to go to Arsenal or why exactly they want him, how quickly is this going to get concluded? Because you're, you're Jamie Vardy okay if you're Wayne Rooney and you're deliberating over something like this you've been around the block for a long time you've been a big name player for ages Vardy's a completely sudden superstar and now rather than knuckling down and thinking about what he's going to do with the Euros he's presumably sitting there with his agent he's talking to Wenger he's talking to all these people about whether or not he, what, what's the next step in his career and we're, we're edging closer to the start of the championships 
Yeah, and the interesting thing about it is that I would have expected him to have already said yes to this. Hmm. So the fact that he hasn't, that the fact that he hasn't yet, makes me wonder whether he really wants to, because maybe Vardy values what he has at Leicester a little bit much. See, it's a real dilemma for him. It's like you're playing in a team that where you're really comfortable, you're playing really well. You know, the team is set up to bring the best out of your ability. You're offered the chance to join a very different type of team with very different sort of teammates in a totally different tactical system. The advantages are you make way more money and you get to tell everyone that you play for a big club. No, you know, uh, I play for Arsenal now. now. The thing is that Leicester are kind of unusual in this situation because they are the Premier League champions. Mm-hmm. They're the Premier League. They've won a trophy that Arsenal haven't won for 12 years. So that's kind of the... Usually this would be a no-brainer. You know, the Leicester striker gets to go to Arsenal for more money. Yeah, I mean, clearly he wants to do that. In this situation, I'm not sure. Um, but the the the, uh, the key person there, I guess, is going to have to be Vardy's agent. Vardy's agent makes a lot more money if he goes to Arsenal than if uh, if he stays at Leicester. I mean, given that agents uh, usually work off a commission, uh, a percentage of the transfer fee, if there's a big transfer fee, they make more money than if there's no transfer fee. Mm-hmm. So a lot of agents will tend to favour a move in this situation. will say, you know, do you really want to be the guy who turned down a move to the big time? You know, he could, he could point to, for instance, Latan Ibrahimovic's interview today um, well, an interview that he actually did a few weeks ago, which was published today in The Guardian, where um, it's mainly about fashion. Uh, but the journalist says to him, oh, you know, why don't you come to England? This was kind of before, you know, the whole Zlatan to Manchester United thing seemed to uh, to be on. And he said, oh, you know, where do you think I should go? And she says, first Liverpool. And she, he kind of says, mm. And then she says, Leicester? And he says, they've had their time. Hmm. You know, it's like, it's just a, an immediate sort of, come on, you know, let's be serious. Uh, they did great, but you don't seriously expect it to continue, do you? I mean, that's that's obviously what Zlatan thinks. And you just wonder how many of the other Leicester players think it. If they all were to say, you know what, we actually think that we can go and win the Champions League now. You know, maybe Claudio Ranieri needs to sign another couple of players. But we would really love to have a go at these, like, you know, these bloated Champions League teams. This, you know, Bayern, this sort of passing, passing around Bayern Munich, these, you know this sort of arrogant Real Madrid that have never come up against, you know, anything like us. And we're going to actually going to have a go at that. And if they all decided to stay and do that, it would be an amazing thing to, to sort of be part of for each one of them. But none of them can trust any of the others of them to actually still be there when the season starts. Because every one of those, well, the big players at Leicester, certainly, I mean, Kante Morris and, and Vardy, will have offers from other clubs and if they were to all say, no, you know, we're going to stick with Leicester, then they like, maybe they'd all be better off in a sense. But realistically, they'd be looking at each other thinking, he's not going to, Kante's not still going to be here. You know, Mars isn't still going to be here. And if they're not still going to be here, then really do I want to be here? Even if it does mean I have to join Arsenal, a team I feel as though I'm not really culturally that compatible with. Who knows? A big decision for Jamie Vardy. Maybe it's a good, a good way to keep his mind off the pressure of, of, the, of the game. Yeah. That's what Stephen Hunt talking about that for the weekend. The hardest, hardest thing at this stage of tournament preparation is trying to think of stuff to uh, do that isn't obsessing over the actual game that's coming up. So maybe in a way, it's you know, it'll be good for Vardy. Anything else from this Latin interview of note? Haven't had a chance to read it yet. Uh, well, not a whole lot, really. I mean, he's, he's talking about his clothing line and uh, how it's it's kind of basic sort of sportswear that he wants people to be able to afford. 
and uh, you know, uh, blah blah blah. But he 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 talks about Mourinho. Well, he, he mentions Ancelotti. He the guy the journalist is asking him. So you know, who's your favorite coach? Or whatever. This is before that Ancelotti book came out, where he's like, oh, you know, Ancelotti's the number one. But see, he mentions Ancelotti first, then he says Mourinho's cool, um, and starts talking about how they get cooler, coaches get cooler as they get older with their grey hair and serious faces. So now, as you can as you can hear, there wasn't a whole lot in that interview. Uh, last little piece of news before we chat to Miguel. Uh, surrounds Eva Carniero, whose tribunal is being heard at the moment. So some detail is coming out about what went on with her and Mourinho. Yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting points that came out uh, was that was, according to Chelsea, um, she uh, they, they offered Eva Carnero £1.2 million to go away. Just to, to drop this case to right. settle it, and she refused. Chelsea's skeleton argument that's, that was released says basically, you know, we thought 1.2 million was far more than um, uh, Dr. Carnero can realistically be awarded, even if everything is found in her favor. Um, what's coming out essentially is that, you know, so, so, so I suppose that what that does do is show you the strength of feeling. Mm. Uh, the strength of feeling involved. Um, so certain allegations have emerged. Um, you know, some of it turns on whether Mourinho simply called her a son of a bitch, you know, filho de puta, and filho de puta in Portuguese, or whether he gendered it by calling her filha, meaning daughter, de puta. Basically the same expression, but just if he genders it, apparently this is a point of significance in the phrase, as opposed to it's just like him saying, you know, just like a standard curse word that he uses when he's annoyed. You know what I mean? As opposed to a, a targeted uh, insult. Uh, that's an insult that's, that's tailored and targeted at a woman. Um, but there's a few, a few things uh, that she's alleged that, okay, for instance, Mourinho telling the Chelsea medical director, uh, if they don't know how to do their jobs and they don't understand the game, you get other ones. You have to understand the game. Uh, Dr. Canero's QC, Mary Rourke, says not understanding the game is a common allegation put to women in the football world. Um, there's another interesting one here, uh, which is that uh, Mourinho on the 10th of August allegedly told Steve Atkins, who is the Chelsea press officer, um, they didn't want Dr. Canero on the bench next match saying, she works in academy team or ladies team, not with me. The interesting thing about that is that it's... Uh, well, I mean, beyond it, it itself, it's, you know, it's quite insulting. It's the way he spells ladies is spelled incorrectly, L-A-D-Y-S, but, you know, sick. So it's like uh, that's literally how it was spelled in what I suppose must have been a written message from Jose Mourinho. So we'll see what else. I mean, the QC for Carnero says this is a tale of two employees, one good and one bad. The bad employee forces the good employee out of the job of her dreams, and the employer does nothing to stop it. The bad employee berates, sexually, uh, sexually harassed, and demoted the good employee for carrying out her professional duties, namely her health and safety duties as the first team doctor pitch side. Rather than investigating and disciplining the bad employee, the employer allows the bad employee to confirm demotion publicly and privately to continue with his job so it's um it's it's going to go on for a few days and i imagine is well let's just say that if you were ed woodward um 
and you know looking forward to the new season at Manchester United this isn't really the ideal start this is something I suppose that they were well aware of when they heard Jose Mourinho that he would be facing this action but um, it sounds as though uh, it's not going to be a comfortable experience for him over the next few days let's wrap up the report on sport Flame hair, flame hair, flame hair, truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Miguel Delaney, we've been talking a little bit about Martin O'Neill's latest non-PC comment, if we can call it that. I made the point earlier, I don't know if you agree with me, but was the reaction in general a little bit restrained? Uh, well, it's interesting the fact that he said latest as well, because I think that says something about why he's in this situation. I think he has quite a a specific type of humour, O'Neill, which doesn't necessarily trans- translate too well these days. Um, but, I mean, it, I think part of the reaction as well is maybe the way it came out. I mean, we all heard about it on Thursday, but because it was, um, a, you know, I suppose a, a private event that was something to get to pay tickets for, and it was quite a limited audience, um, it was very difficult. I mean, all the journalists were talking about it at the Irish camp last Thursday and Friday. Um but I suppose no one could get it stood up until it, uh, there was a, a reference to it in the Sunday Times on Sunday, and obviously that that forced o- O'Neill to confront it. Um, so it, it, it's it's almost in a strange way, it's almost like it's, I think people didn't because I, I retweeted Dion Fanning yesterday, mm. and a lot of people didn't seem to know about it until it, until O'Neill actually mentioned it himself. So I think that partially explains why maybe there hasn't been a severe reaction. I mean, we were we were all saying even Thursday, Friday that had it been the England job, then there probably would have been much more controversy about it. Well, what, yeah, what do you think would have happened? And I know this is maybe hypothetical, but if Roy Hodgson had said something similar? Um, well, I suppose he didn't say something, maybe... It, it, there was a similar controversy, if not a similar type of comment, with, um, with, the, with the famous joke, the, uh, oh, yeah. the, the notorious joke. And I suppose, I think it probably would have been a similar situation to that, unless, of course, it was an accumulation of incidents. Uh, but I'd, I'd say Hodgson probably would have had to give uh, a usually public apology. Although maybe if it was in, if it was in another time other than right before a tournament, um, then it, it could have been much more serious I suppose it, that, because the fallout could have been greater. So why do you think it would be different for the England manager? Why do you, why do you think he's held to a higher standard? Um, well, I, well I, I, probably because the size of the country, to be honest. I think the elements of that, uh, the, size, the size of the media as well, um, and I think because of the history of the English job, I mean, even if you look at what happened to Glenn Hoddle in 99 when, when he lost his job, partially for results, but mainly for his, uh, his very, very odd comments uh, on religion and, the, uh, <laughs> and some of his beliefs, um, that there is almost, it, it does feel like with the English job, it's almost always waiting for some scandal to flare up that, and it escalates out of that. Whereas, whereas here, I think there's m- much more restraint. Now, per- perhaps, given, given the nature of O'Neill's comments, um, the, 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 it, it should reach that, that, that stage with the Irish job. Um, but but I, I think some of this has been down to come the very odd way the story came out. Yeah. Is there a sense, do you think, in which 
the tournament is is actually starting in just a few days, and and nobody wants to spoil the vibe. I uh, yeah. I think that's a large part of it as well. Um, and then I won't. I mean, even when I when I kind of I suppose this this isn't the complete gauge, but even when he, when he retweeted a few things yesterday, and you see the response, people. I, I think there was a sense. Obviously, he was rightfully um, criticised, but there was a lot of people kind of say putting this forward. Well, it, he obviously shouldn't have said it, but it's it's almost a generational thing. Um, I, I mean, it, the, the fact that O'Neill said it's come out with this sort of thing a few times su- suggests that might be the case. Well, yeah, when, uh, when we say this sort of thing, I suppose we mean generally comments uh, that, that aren't considered acceptable anymore. You know, there was the, the, yeah, there, there was the ill-judged sh- joke about the uh, only the good-looking wives and not the ugly ones being allowed at the team yeah, hotel. Exactly. It's, you know, co- comments that were much, much more acceptable 30, 30 years ago. Um, and I, I do think his, uh, his, his comments yesterday, his apology was um, quite genuine and he did seem contrite. But then... I suppose re- revealing maybe a, a certain outdated mindset in regard when he it, it, what compounded and what revealed why he's in this situation was the way he brought up the fact. Well, I used to, I used to have a gay teammate in, in Justin Fashionu, uh, so I think that, that was, the, the fact that he used that kind of what has become quite a notorious defence. Well, I, I have it, fre- friends, whatever, it, it suggests or reveals why he's in the situation as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I I would be pretty reluctant actually to to really criticise Martin O'Neill harshly over this because I think it's, I mean, he's, what, 64 years old? Yeah. It's a reflection of the culture. It's a reflection of the culture in which he lived his life. I mean, it tells you something, I suppose, about the culture uh, of football as it, as it has been. Um, you know, and people sometimes blurt out inappropriate things. I mean, even Barack Obama, I remember, made some comment about um, the Special Olympics on a TV show a couple of years ago. I thought he, would, he was quite uh, sort of sure-footed uh, in terms of uh, knowing mm. what was and wasn't inappropriate to say, um, you know, maybe for that reason, an apology and, and sort of draw a line under it is is actually the you know the obviously the best uh, the kind of most reasonable outcome. Yeah, I prob- probably agree with that. To be honest, um, I do. I just do one thing with O'Neill as well because what is slightly surprising in, in the generational argument is that O'Neill is renowned as an exceptionally intelligent and witted manager, particularly given his legal training. So it's, it's, it's maybe slightly surprising in that sense that he's, but, but then uh, as, as you say, it, it could be also a product of uh, <laughs> what, what remains um, quite a macho environment football. Well, I mean, you know, he, his great sort of idol in his, in his career was Brian Clough. Yeah. Who, I mean, you know, there's, you don't you don't have to read too much you don't have to find out too much about Brian Clubs to find out that you know sort of fairly vicious homophobia was uh, was something that, that that would happen fairly frequently. Well, yeah, I'm saying that Martin O'Neill you know is entitled to just uh, you know act as though it was still the 1970s. O'Neill, O'Neill didn't like you know, Clough. O'Neill didn't get on with Clough at all though. I mean, Clough was his manager, would, but O'Neill was not a fan. Oh, I think he was a fan, and I think he was a big fan. I mean, there was there was a bit of a. Um, praise, uh, withholding of praise dynamic going on. A bit of yeah. a, a psychologically abusive well, dynamic, maybe. But yeah. I think O'Neill definitely loves. Sure, that, sorry, Miguel. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, and almost, it's almost a harsh father thing. He, he, it's as if he always kind of wanted to please Clough as well, precisely because Clough was so yeah, hard. I get the sense that annoyed O'Neill and, and and always has that he. I don't know. Maybe he became a better. Maybe be, did become a good player, but I don't think O'Neill necessarily accepts that it was the right way to be treated by Clough. But anyway, maybe we're getting into. There was, actually, there was just an interview the other day. I saw George Colkin 
Um, George Calkin, who obviously would know O'Neill, um, certainly from his time when O'Neill was the Sunderland manager, George Calkin covers football in that area, um, and did an interview with him in the Times uh, a couple of days ago where he was talking about this exact thing and basically saying, yeah, uh, you know, that was that was Clough's way of getting the best out of me. You know, I answered back more than other players, so he would kind of abuse me more, praise me less. Uh, but he mentions an incident then in the 1980 European Cup final where they come in at half time and you know, things are really desperate. And uh, Clough is talking about, oh, you know, we're going to have to change things here. You know, this isn't good enough. We have to change things around positionally. And O'Neill said, well, you know, I'll, I'll change. I mean, I'll, he volunteered to change. And he said, not you, son. You're playing brilliantly. Mm. And O'Neill just sat there sort of suffused with happiness <laughs> at finally getting this praise at a key moment yeah. and, well, and, and talking about how he felt in people all, yeah. On the other side of that as well, I think we hear from people that have played under O'Neill that when he was when he wanted to criticise you, he could be one of the most cutting and brutal managers in the game. So I think he's taken that from Clough, certainly. Miguel, uh, just on another <laughs> former Clough player, Roy Keane, who was ve- very interesting, most interesting last week when he was talking to the media. And he actually uh, addressed some of what he had said to, about the players on that uh, show with Matt Cooper, which we got into last week. But where are we uh, on all of that now? Aidan McGeady, I'm reading this week, says, oh no, it's, oh, sorry, I should say, James McLean is saying, no, it's great, Roy's dead right. You know, we do need to pull up our socks, all this kind of stuff. But apparently there's a story that he had to apologise, or, or he did apologise to Aidan McGeady behind the scenes. Well, it was quite surprised anyway, because I think, um, first of all, I think he was absolutely right in what he said in McGeady. And it, I think it does need pointing out sometimes. And from everyone you speak to around the squad, and even Stephen Hunt in his column this this, this Sunday said uh, basically that of all the players that wouldn't take that to heart, it's McGeady because he has almost a, a ludicrous confidence bordering on arrogance in his own ability. So that, that and I think Hunt said it would you would just slide off his back. So I find I found that quite surprising. And, and the one thing about Keane when he when he does all these things, you can even see it when he's speaking. He isn't all right. Obviously, he's making a point and he, he's sincere about some of it. But it's almost always said with this kind of half smile and there's an element of humour behind it. And I, I think that when you see the harshness of his words on paper or even kind of just take out one clip where it's only those words said, but it's kind of because almost, there's almost unfailingly a quip after it in a lot of these situations. And so I think there was a lot of overreaction to that as well. And, and, and again, I don't, I don't think there's much issue with, with this around the Irish, with this mood around the Irish squad, I don't think it's that much of a problem. I don't think it's that corrosive. It's certainly like I mean, it's not exactly like we're seeing Keane in the in the in the build up to it or throughout the two thousand and two campaign, where in that in that in that context you could argue that he was seeding, there wasn't the same humor and, and it, that did permeate to the players. But I, I don't think it's the case this time. Well what was your general impression then, Miguel if photo Island? I mean the one thing I'm a bit worried about is these injuries that keep happening to important players. I saw Robbie Brady described as a utility player in one uh, in one report in one of the English papers. So I thought, what do you what do you say, utility player? Robbie Brady is one of our most important players. <laughs> and we can't have we can't go into this tournament with missing, you know, John Walters and, and Robbie Brady and James McCarthy. These are the players who've had uh, you know, little injury niggles leading yeah. up to it. We can't, we can't go in without those players and, and hope, uh, and hope for anything. They are key players. And, and even when we uh, when we interviewed Shane Long on Friday, the Sunday papers, he was at the end of it. He spent he's showing us basically this that, that nasty cut in his leg, which said keeps opening up. Now he he was in a very he was talking about this in a very jokey manner and insisting that it was absolutely nothing to worry about. But you know, it's hard. Hang on, Long, <laughs> we kind of we we, we, need, we need you here a hundred percent. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it, it is a worry, um, and it does, I suppose, reflect on the fact we are worried about it. Reflects maybe the thinness of the squad in that sense, and why O'Neill could have done with bringing in a little bit differently because the, the squad does feel a little bit stale beyond the beyond that first eleven. So if any of those, if if, if two of those are forced, or even if two of those aren't even a hundred percent, it could cause quite a drop in performance overall. Miguel, I know you're doing your packing there, so I'm sure we'll chat to you again over in France. Thanks a million. Cheers, Cheers lads. What do you make, Ken, of the differing reactions? Well, actually, I mentioned McLean's reaction that he seemed to be happy enough publicly with what Keane had to say, even though he was one of the players who was sort of criticised. You know, Keane had been talking about all the... Uh, how the players have to you know, front up more and all that kind of stuff which wasn't an accusation leveled at McLean but he did say well McLean needs to show more quality in the final third and needs to get his foot in the ball a little bit more but uh, do you reckon Keane really did apologise to Aidan McGeady behind the scenes? Well, Martin O'Neill said he did didn't he? Um, mm. um, do, you reckon there's sure any, do you reckon there's any need to do that? Um, well yeah so, so what did so basically uh, just, just to be clear what Martin O'Neill said. Mm. He said, uh, "Roy's spoken as a player, so I don't want to use the word inappropriate. Uh, that is, were were Keane's remarks inappropriate? Um, because there's two certain meanings at the end of end of it all. Mine was most certainly inappropriate. Inappropriate. You know, that's what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. His, he felt, was over the top. I think he's apologised to the players, and they've accepted it, and with reasonably good art as well. I think some of them are actually echoing what James McLean had said to you uh, that it books you up if that's the case." People like to be praised reasonably often, but people have to take a bit of criticism on the chin too. Aiden is old enough to take it, but I think he appreciated the apology from Roy. So it sounds from that maybe that it was a more of a general, hey guys, you know, anyone who, uh, <laughs> can you imagine that by the way? Anyone who was hurt by my words the other day? Was there anyone? Yeah, does, does it remind you of a certain scene, Murph? Yeah, uh, yeah. So was, what one am I talking about? Well, I'm just, I'm concerned that maybe a player might feel like he was being put in a position there. Yeah. You know, a really, really tough position where he had to so stand up for himself. Ferguson book, yeah. Yeah, when Keane, after the Middlesbrough, Keane, Roy Keane plays the pundit or whatever and, and uh, demands then to play play the tape of his uh, supposedly excoriating his too hot for broadcast comments about his teammates, demands that it's all played and the team all has to sit there watching <laughs> this watching this punditry performance. And then here McKee says, well, does anyone have a problem with any of that? <laughs> Fletch, problem with that? Shazy, what do you think? <laughs> nobody, Eyeballs, nobody bulging. Says, yeah. no, that's okay, right? <laughs> uh, Ken, um, uh, I, I, I feel I should tell you that even though you're our man in France, I'm actually our man with the Ireland team because oh, I, yeah. I met them all yesterday. Oh, yeah. What? 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 Yeah, I was in, um, I was having some lunch in Dublin mm-hmm. in a place there on South William Street. Just, uh, lunch on South William Street, eh? Just having a, having a coffee, right? Having a coffee, relaxing. Yeah. When all of a sudden, Ken, a very plush looking, uh, I'm not going to call it a minibus. I'm going to say it's got about maybe 26 seats in it. Very right. uh, elegant, though. Uh, an elegant way to travel, understated. Uh, stopped and out appeared the almost the entire Ireland team to go into the really? back of the cat. So everyone was eating outside. They went into inside. Uh, they had a little staying out of the sun. You don't want to get sunburned. Yeah, cordoned off area. Stephen Quinn, in particular, getting out of that sun, Stevie. <laughs> so, what were they doing? Just having food? Well, they were having coffee. Uh, and then there was a, a member of the backroom team, uh, backroom team kept walking up South William Street, disappearing into. Uh, uh, place of business and then coming back out with another member of the Ireland team 
And so the the guy was going in. The member of the Ireland backroom team was going into the into the right. And all was I it could, like style hair club or something? Yeah, all I could see style was club. a big sign that said casino, right? And I was like, "You are kidding me! What? The Ireland team are not going into a casino like at one four o'clock in the afternoon." No, it was actually a cryotherapy chamber. I was oh. a little disappointed to find out that it was actually just a cryotherapy yeah. chamber. Cryotherapy, um, right? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. interesting. Well, I, I in the mean, middle of South William Street, there is a cryotherapy. Like well, it just seems like a strange place to be getting your cryotherapy done. But I suppose if you're well, getting actually, lunch in there anyway, yeah. Well, to be honest, there's a number of uh, treatments available. One of which was kind of laser hair removal, and I was like, "They're not. This isn't like <laughs> team <laughs> bonding. On, they definitely are. Lots this isn't team bonding, that. is it? Just, Most of them must do that laser hair removal. There aren't any these hairless young men. I mean, what's going? Something's going on there." Mm. Um, so I assume that I assume that some of them are uh, some of them must be. Uh, no, I, I think you know. I think maybe they, maybe you can get it done while you have the cryotherapy at the same time. I, I don't have, <laughs> no, I've never actually had either thing done. Yeah, yeah. So no, uh, no, I'm hopelessly out of touch. Yeah, the member the member of the backroom team did appear to be a medical professional. So I'm, I I I maintain that it was strictly for medical purposes. Ken, what's your plan for the rest of the week? Well, England are playing Russia there, so you're you're hanging on to Marseille for that. The bloody European Championships is starting in, on Friday. I know, I know. I'm sorry, I know you're probably more aware of this than us, Kay. You, you have to book your travel plans. It just seems... I mean, it's here. It's here. And that game, that England-Russia game is on Saturday. Uh, so you're heading to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to that game, yeah. Um, the uh, France, France-Romania, France I think, is the first game. Germans, that's kicking it off for Friday. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm just going to... To be honest, I was walking around in Marseille and there wasn't really a whole lot of evidence of, of this thing being on. Um, I mean, I haven't really been like I, I literally came from the airport, walked around, walked through the town to get to where I am now, and then since then I'm more left than talking to you. So I, I haven't exactly really mm. taken in the whole situation in the town yet. But it wasn't as though it was like, wow, Euro fever is clearly here. Like there was an ad on the train which mentioned football, and that's basically it. So well, go in and get get in amongst it there. At the surely one of your former teammates must be in the hospitality trade. I'm thinking it's got to be like an well, is actually the uh, city ambassador. Oh yeah, for, for the Euro. So, uh, so who knows? Um, what I don't about know what the, his ambassadorial duties include? It's kind of the wrong guy, though. I mean, the unpleasantness, the the incident between yourself and Basil. Maybe try and well, find a Bide Pele somewhere. Surely, surely time time heals all. Of it's like I was listening to you to uh, George Foreman, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, who was it talking about George Foreman? Talking about was Ali. It you was it you talking about George Foreman? Well, well, what was I saying? saying that um, that he watched le- years later. He watched yes. when we were kings. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, um, he watched when we were kings, and he just thought, and his kids were like laughing at all Muhammad Ali's jokes. And he was like, "Actually, this guy is pretty funny." <laughs> I used, I used to love this guy, and uh, he wasn't that bad, I suppose. Really. Well, you go meet So, uh, so maybe I'm hoping for something like that to happen when uh, when Bowley sees me again. Okay, thanks for the final plug there on the Muhammad Ali podcast. Have a listen to that if you haven't already had a chance. Thanks very much, Ken. Enjoy, enjoy your next few days. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Ken. Au revoir. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thanks for listening. It's 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.